Today's episode is sponsored by the RevOps experts at Fullcast. With me is their head of customer success, Tyler Simons. Hey, Tyler. Revenue efficiency, sales productivity are everything today. How does Fullcast's go-to-market planning platform help RevOps teams achieve these types of goals? Well, Fullcast lets you build better territories so that the right resources are always focused on the right opportunities. When reps are motivated and zeroed in on their targets, they'll be more successful and bring in more revenue. That sounds great. I do a lot of that planning in spreadsheets today and I'm pretty happy with my spreadsheets. How is Fullcast any better than that? You must get rid of the spreadsheets because (laughs) spreadsheets create lag and errors. With Fullcast, planning and updating happen automatically all in one place. Best of all, it automates all common headache-inducing planning activities like territory rebalancing, account hierarchies, routing, and more. So when you're faced with those go-to-market plan changes, which, you know what, they happen all the time, Fullcast has your back. All right, you got me convinced. Where do I learn more about Fullcast? Our website, fullcast.io. Three years from now, the world is going to be turned upside down. I can't predict what's going to happen in go-to-market. So like, if you're not thinking about it in that term, you're going to be sitting there with you know, the equivalent of a Model T in an era of Teslas. Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lee. When we started this show, we knew we wanted it to be unabashedly for operators with expert guests sharing lessons from those people who had been there, done that. And I think we've largely lived up to that for more than 100 episodes. But there's something new happening right now that kind of caught me off guard, a new purpose, a new role that our show can take on. Not only can we be the place to reflect on the hard-earned lessons our guests have to share, but we can also be the place where operators can come to brainstorm, to debate, to hypothesize about what's to come. And today's guest, he helped me to realize that. That guest, and the voice you heard at the top of the show, is Tom Wentworth. Tom is the CMO of Recorded Future, the cybersecurity company, and His track record is wildly impressive, having previously led marketing teams at Acquia, RapidMiner, and Optimizely. Being a marketing leader means that you don't just market your own product, you're a customer of a lot of software products yourself, and Tom is no different. As AI use cases explode and new technologies emerge, what feels like daily, Tom, like all of us, is trying to adjust to the new possibilities available to him. But unlike most of us, Tom is already plotting where he and his team at Recorded Future will take advantage of these tectonic shifts. In our conversation, Tom and I discuss the macro shift from best-of-breed tools to all-in-one platforms. He teaches me why data sets, not features, will be the differentiators of software products moving forward. And we both realized together that those previously fluffy product roadmaps may actually mean a lot more than they used to in the future. To start, though, let's dive right into what Tom is seeing as new, real innovation is causing a shift in the way companies go to market. So I've been doing this for a long time. All right. I may look like my my hair is looking all spiky today. I may look look a lot younger than I really am, but I've been doing this forever. 
And I would have said until very recently that technology is, is a best of as a best of breed game. Like find the best combination of tools for your business, stitch them together, orient them around a central thing like Salesforce, and that's how you would build a stack. In the past six months, I've become more convinced than ever that that's actually the wrong approach going forward and that we are seeing now a shift to whatever we're going to call the new thing, integrated suites, platforms, buying a bunch of point solutions isn't going to get you to the promised land anymore. And, and I think we're in a new world right now. And so when you make that distinction between, again, whatever you want to call them, integrated suites, platforms, and your kind of previous view of Salesforce needing to be at the center of that, can you expand on that a little bit? Because when I hear you say that, oh, Salesforce is the platform and I'm just putting stuff in, but you're saying complete replacement of that? I'm saying that 10 years ago, everyone owned Salesforce. So you'd go buy HubSpot or Marketo. You would buy... A CMS, you would buy some sort of reporting tool, you'd buy Outreach Sales Loft, or you'd buy Yesware. See, I told you I'm old. Um, you buy one of those tools, right? You start stitching these things together. Salesforce serves as the center of gravity, but everything plugged into Salesforce. Later on, you'd buy Drift. Salesforce, the center of gravity, but you'd stack together all of these things. And like I said, I think 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago, even a year ago, that was a good strategy. But now we're starting to see whatever we call these platform companies, like everyone wants to be that center of gravity. And that would have been impossible to me. I think now it's inevitable. According to Tom, things are changing and not just the technology available to us, but the actual tech stack design itself, where we used to just latch every tool we bought onto Salesforce and Salesforce sat at the center the approach to building your tech stack, to picking that platform that can serve as the center of gravity, all of that is shifting and will continue to shift. So if everyone is competing for the same real estate in a sales rep's day or a marketer's day and features are starting to be commoditized across different vendors, how does Tom see this evolution for vendors playing out? Yeah, it comes down to data. So that's where I've seen this, this shift Right. So Salesforce has a pretty impressive data set, right? They're your system of record for what really matters, which is how you make money, how you support your customers, like pretty important stuff. That's not going to go away. But you think about the data sets that are being aggregated by people like HubSpot. They're being aggregated by people like Sixth Sense. They're being aggregated by Drift. You have an amazing data set at Drift. I think now the battle is being fought on who has the right data set? Because now that we have these big AI models we didn't have a year ago, turns out the data matters more than ever and the things that you can do with that data. So it's like whoever has the best data is now, I think, going to win. And, and I think there are a few vendors that are really have a chance to emerge as the platform adjacents sitting next to Salesforce. And the interesting thing about that data point is before most, if not all of that data was just from Salesforce, right? And I think we need to expand the definition of the bucket of data that you're talking about because you could plug your tool into Salesforce and be like, yeah, I've got opportunity data. Like, so does everybody who plugs into that opportunity, right? And so how do you view kind of the net new or the novel versions of what these tools or platforms can do with data? So think about someone like Gong, right? You've got Gong and Clary who are now going after each other, throw outreach in the mix. Outreach wants to record calls. 
Gong wants to send emails. Like everybody's doing everybody sales loft, right? So why can Gong do it credibly? Because they've been capturing call recordings forever. They understand the meaning of those call recordings and they're able to apply those learnings and that data set to this new novel problem of how do we send better emails? That's really cool. Clary knows more than anybody about how to find pipeline that converts and how to like really understand how your business is performing. They're going to be able to use that to drive use cases that frankly, even Salesforce probably can't drive. So I think you have these vendors now who have these really unique data sets who can then apply their unique data to these, all of these problems we've been talking about. And, and we're already seeing that happen. Like that is the change that has happened in the past six months. And it kind of seems like that data will then be the key to the differentiation of how you solve a problem, right? The problems are not going to be unique. Even maybe what you would call the features or the use cases might not be unique, but it seems like your angle or the data that you have to solve that problem or to fulfill that use case, is that going to eventually be the differentiator? A hundred percent, right? Like you saw yesterday, Meta released threads. Are you on thread? I just joined yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I had I had zero followers at eleven thirty last night. Now I have like fourteen. You were you were on my list, Tom. I'll, I'll get I'll, I'll get you on there. Let's go. But like, think about it. They can go copy Twitter. Meta's got enough engineers. They can copy Twitter's UI. They can copy their feature function stuff. Like, there's zero moat for Meta to copy Twitter. But there is a tremendous moat for someone to copy what Clary is doing, what Gong is doing, what Outreach is doing, what Drift is doing, what Sixth Sense is doing. These data sets have been curated over years and sometimes decades and longer. In order to do that, those, those data sets are the moats. And when you start to apply data sets and large language models like GPT and others, holy moly, the things that you can unlock, it's really incredible. And back to my original thesis, I think that's why things now will inevitably come together because the data is so powerful that you're not going to want to get email from here, a call recording from here, and conversational marketing from here. You're going to want a single vendor to kind of do all of this for you and apply their unique data set to the sets of problems that you have. If you've had to evaluate software tools at any point in the last decade, Tom's thesis would lead to a sizable shift in how you undergo those evaluations. If everyone ends up with similar features or use cases, it's no longer about comparing a side-by-side -side list of features with checkboxes. It becomes about which company's data set is best suited to solve your particular business problems. So how do you even begin to do that? A company's data set as a differentiator is pretty hard for me to effectively kick the tires on, at least right now. So how do we tell the difference between a commodity and a differentiator in Tom's new world. It's even more important now because you buy these platforms, I would expect you'd wanna live with them for a year, two years, three years. So the decision you make today could have a three year plus impact on your business. While you watch everyone else go do some innovative stuff, you pick the wrong vendor. I think the consequences are higher than they've ever been. So I think it's actually more important than ever that you really try to understand not what the vendor can do today. Like this is goes opposite against everything I've ever learned in software, right? Don't buy in the future. Don't buy in the roadmap. You got to buy what's on the truck now, but that's not, I think things are moving too fast for that. Like I want to understand, all right, 
So if I'm going to talk to a vendor like Sixth Sense, Clary, Gong, Drift, whoever, I want to know, okay, so let's talk about your view of, of AI, your view of, of the data informed things that you can do. I would take that part of my evaluation as seriously as how do you integrate with Salesforce? Show me how you set up cadences. Show me how you set up a chat bot. Like we have to evaluate these vendors on where they're going to go. We have to look at their companies and assess like, I'm a Sixth Sense client at Recorded Future. And like, we have to think about what, you know, we know what their data set is. We know they're an AI company. So I feel very confident that their data, they're going to have a unique data set and they're going to put unique analytics on top of it. Like I know that's what their whole business is, but I want to look at the other vendors in my portfolio and make sure I'm confident they have that same vision. Like I would not buy another technology without really trying to understand exactly what their roadmap is going to look like. And then I have to assess whether or not I think they can get there. The roadmap thing is so interesting because to your point, most of the time in the past, it's just been this like kind of smoke and mirrors, hand-waving exercise of like, this is all the exciting stuff that's coming. And what you're basically saying is like a company's track record and their ability to deliver on those promises. It's not just about the promises anymore. It's being able to say, hey, this is what you said. And then this is what actually came true over the course of our three-year commitment together. It's going to be a wild next three years. Like, you think about what's happened in the past year with just chat GPT and large language models. We're just getting started. Compute is getting better and cheaper. You got more and more big companies putting huge amounts of efforts into this. Like we're just getting started three years from now, the world is going to be turned upside down. I can't predict what's going to happen and go to market. So like it's, if you're not thinking about it in that term, you're going to be sitting there with, you know, the equivalent of a model T in an era of Tesla's. It's interesting, but it's also frightening how fast stuff's going to evolve. Like, look at, it was a real example, Marketo. Let's pick on them for a little bit. Nothing against Adobe. Love Marketo. I won the Marketo Revy Award in, in 2014. Revy Award winner a long time ago. Literally nine Congratulations. <laughs> I'll put that in the bio. Put that in the bio. <laughs> it's on my LinkedIn profile. But like, what does Marketo do differently today than they did nine years ago when I won the award? Literally nothing. Pardot, remember Pardot at the sale, whatever they call it now, that hasn't changed in 13 years. HubSpot changes and, and can, good, good for them. They're the only map vendor that seems to put any investment in their product, but Marketo and Pardot haven't changed at all, right? That like, that's not going to fly anymore. You're going to see these things evolve. And again, you see it with Gong, Clary, Outreach, Sales Loft, Drift. You see the, the rapid pace of evolution now like we're seeing massive improvements every month. It's insane. We hear the same thing from a lot of our customers about the MAP stuff. Like it's almost like sacrilegious to think of building a demand gen or a marketing org without one of those, but people are thinking about it, right? And people are yearning for it. Yeah. What's going to replace them is going to be, I don't know how much I should disclose about things I'm allowed to share or not, but there are MarTech vendors out there right now who are gunning for people like HubSpot and Marketo. And what they're going to do is they're going to take a conversational AI approach to email and, and emails are going to behave like humans. And you're not going to need to set up that ridiculously complicated workflow in Marketo and HubSpot. You're just going to have AI going back and forth with people until they raise their hand and say, hey, I'm ready to talk. Like that's going to happen and that's going to be done in months, not years. I'm more worried about like outreach and sales loft and tools that make BDRs more productive. 
there's a future there. AI is going to help them. That's already happening. But the whole map space, like low value, highly automated emails. I don't know, man. I don't know what's going to happen there. That feels like the perfect thing for AI to automate. This episode is sponsored by Fullcast, the company that helps operators build better sales territories. Their platform focuses the right sellers on the right opportunities, making them unstoppable. And the cherry on top, Fullcast automates common go-to-market activities like territory rebalancing, account hierarchies, routing, and more. So the plan is always in sync with operations. With Fullcast, say goodbye to go-to-market planning headaches and hello to your own personal planning assistant. Learn more about Fullcast today by visiting fullcast.io. Okay, back to Tom. Before the break, Tom was stressing the new, longer-term thinking that go-to-market leaders need to employ in order to keep up with what feels like a daily shift in the technology available to us. And luckily for us, Tom is actually someone who finds himself in exactly that position. As the CMO of Recorded Future, he has to make these really tough bets. So what should the rest of us do? Do we sit out the next 6 to 12 months and just wait to see where the dust settles? Not Tom. This is what I love. Like, I'm a tech nerd. I'm a product nerd. So, like, I do this with much love and admiration. But, yeah, it's my job to make the big bets that are going to put us in the position one year, two year, three years from now to, like, I can't, I'm not going to win by spending more money. I'm not going to win by hiring more people. The way I think I'm going to win the market is by being more productive and smarter. And so it is my job to equip the team with tools that I think will allow Recorded Future to have a better go-to-market than our competitors. And technology is going to be a part of that, not the only part of that. But if I can find a tool that lets me do the proverbial more with less, especially these days in this economic environment, you kidding me? Of course I'm going to do that. And that's going to be a win for me. I'm going to watch all my competitors manually doing stuff that I can automate. Big win for Recorded Future. And so make that real for people. Like, can you give me a use case of, of what you would want that technology to do for your go-to-market team that maybe wasn't possible six months ago? I mean, here's the, here's the simple thing, right? Remember three years ago when we had unlimited access to capital and we as companies could go raise as much money as we want and we would give that money to people like me and CMOs and say, go spend as much as you want to go acquire new customers. And then this pesky little recession thing happens and money dries up and all of a sudden we're told we've got to be profitable and we don't have unlimited money to spend, yet we still want to grow. So like the balance of profitability and growth is tricky, but if you can't figure that balance, you're never going to have the kind of exit that all of us want as private, whatever, venture funded companies. So the real thing for me is I got to grow, but I've got to do it responsibly and I think the tools are a big part of that strategy. Like I can't, I can't scale my marketing team at 40% every year. So I've got to find ways to scale more profitably. I can't scale our BDR team as fast as revenue. So I've got to find ways to scale more profitably. And I think the tools used right are the only way that you can do that when you get to a certain amount of scale. I can't spend more on AdWords. I can't spend more on my thread advertising or whatever, pick your, whatever your channel you pick. Like I got to find tools that let me take novel approaches to things. And, and I think there's an early adopter advantage if you pick the right sets of tools. And for me, Drift was one of those. Like I was super early Drift user before everybody used Drift. And it was an advantage because like, what's this thing? I'm going to try this thing out. 
and that thing drove a big chunk of my pipeline five years ago. I think people that are using ChatGPT right now aggressively have an advantage in the market. I think people that are early adopters, if they buy into the right stuff, have a huge productivity advantage in the market. The companies that make those early bets will have a huge productivity advantage in the market. I really appreciate that despite most of our conversation being about tools and technology, what really drives Tom is winning his market. He's trying to put his team in the best position to win, which is really what technology should be for in the first place. It's not about the logo you get to say you're using or your friend who works at the vendor that's competing for your business. It's about which horse is going to get you and your team the most yield. It's as simple as that. What Tom made me think about though, which is not as simple, is how do we quantify the value we're getting from all these new technologies? Or to use his differentiator from earlier, from these unique data sets. Pricing, ROI, these concepts are going to change a lot. So how do we begin to ascribe the value of AI to these tools? I think a lot of it comes down to, we have recorded future AI we're an intelligence company, so we are out there gathering intelligence from all sorts of sources, from open sources to dark web to technical sources to very bespoke Russian criminal hacker forums and everything in between. And our job is to gather all these signals and help our clients understand what it means for them so they can do something. So like, if you know that your leech credentials are out being sold on some Russian criminal forum, you should probably expire those credentials in your... VPN, right? Things like that. But we use AI to summarize all these signals. Hey, here's a simple sentence of all these things and what they really mean to you. So we, we have, you know, my company in cybersecurity, we have to be able to articulate our value. And a lot of it comes down to productivity, right? You have a bunch of analysts who are overworked. They're seeing more cyber incidents than ever. They're having to deal with these really insane hackers from Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, and like, it's hard to do their job. So anything they can do to make them more productive is very valuable to that organization in terms of like sort of FTEs, right? Normal, like what Recorded Future is providing is letting me do the job of two or three people so those two or three people can go do something else. I think in our world, I think it's the same thing. I think it's, if I can start automating things, like if I can have email that, a technology like Sixth Sense can automate how I do email outreach that would have been done by three BDRs in the past. Like take my bad content syndication leads, put them into something that can just automatically outreach and have a conversation and then bubble up the good ones. That just saved my BDRs a bunch of time they can go spend on prospecting into accounts that we really want to break into. So I think it's a productivity savings. It's an opportunity cost story. It's like everything with AI outsourcing the lowest value stuff so that you can focus on the higher value things. Like I don't want to have to write, I can have chat GPT do a lot of the commodity writing that I would spend 15 minutes and now it does it in 10 seconds. I can go do something more valuable with my time. The other thing I'm taking away from your description there is like, regardless of the pricing, like this will just be table stakes. Yeah. 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 Like if you don't have this, you're not even in the conversation. Irrelevant. A hundred percent irrelevant. Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. 
Best book you've read in the last six months? Uh, Amp It Up by Frank Slootman, The Goat. Have you read that? Have you, have you read that book before? It's, it's literally incredible. That's a good one. I just reread it recently, and that dude, like, he just clear why Snowflake and ServiceNow were so successful. Normally, I ask people favorite part about working in ops. I consider you an honorary operator, so I'll say favorite part about working in ops or with ops. Yeah, I was so much to the chagrin of my fantastic ops person, Jamie Therian. I have admin privileges to everything. I'm her worst nightmare. And, you know, I'm a former computer science major. So, like, I can write code. Like, I'm dangerous. And I'm also not afraid. I'll go write Apex triggers. I've literally written an Apex trigger before in Salesforce. Like, so scary. I guess my thing is I apologize. I'm sorry. And, like, I'll screw things up every once in a while. Like, you know, I accidentally touched uh, 200,000 Salesforce records. Sorry about that. Might make the next one a layup for you. Least favorite part about working with or in ops. Trying to get, trying data wrangling, trying to get multiple data sources to make sense. Stupidly difficult. How hard it is to do that. And second one, this is a little minor one, but you're going to love this one. It's insanely stupid that Salesforce has leads and contacts. (laughs) It's the dumbest thing ever. It's literally the dumbest thing ever. The, like kill leads. Leads have to go. Benny off. If you listen to this podcast, you got to get rid of leads. The dumbest thing ever and makes things so complicated. So first of all, I'm with you. But the wildest part about that take is that there are people who vehemently disagree with you on the other side. They're insane. They're wrong. <laughs> I agree. Let's do Let's turn to find whoever they are. Let's do a three-way podcast next episode. And I'll tell them how wrong we'll, they are. We'll do, a, we'll do a debate episode. Contacts are the way to go. Like contacts are just a better object in Salesforce. You can do more with contacts. Leads are, leads are dumb. Like you can tell it was an afterthought. They don't make any sense. And you know who didn't fall into that trap was HubSpot. HubSpot CRM. Yeah, they don't make any sense. Didn't fall into that trap and God bless. Yes. All right. Someone who impacted you getting to the job you have today. Oh, gosh. It was a long, long time ago. It was a, a sales guy named Ray Picard, who I used to, I was an SC for the first chunk of my career. And this Ray guy said, you're pretty good SC, but I think you'd be good at this thing called product marketing. Why don't you go figure out what that looks like? So with his support, I got put into a, a, a role called field CTO, which isn't a real role, but it's like, you're a product marketer, but you work in sales. It's kind of funny, but yeah, this guy, Ray, saw that I was more than just a sales engineer, which by the way, is the best job in tech. I miss it dearly, but he got me into marketing in a strange way. That's awesome. Last one. One piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. Don't have a playbook. I mean, this is going to be another hot take here, like all of this stuff. But like, I talked to a lot of CMOs who like, they have a playbook and every time they join a new company, they run their playbook. And if they get lucky, their playbook works. And when it doesn't, they're the ones who lose their job in a year. I have no playbook. And I don't think you can have a playbook. My playbook is every business is different. Every GTM is different. You got to come in and study. You got to quickly learn what makes each company unique. And you've got to come in with no predispositions about what's going to work and what's not going to work. I think if you come in and say, well, this is how I did it. This is how I structured the team. This is how I spent my budget. Events worked for me before, so they're going to work for me here. Like that is the fastest path to failure. Assume you know nothing when you come into any new company, no matter what your role is, CMO or specialist, like come in, learn the business and, and you do that. I think it's like the difference between buying something off the shelf or like building something that's unique to what you're trying to do.
thanks so much to Tom Wentworth for joining us on this week's episode of Operations. Also, a special shout out to Jamie Sloan, who Tom called the best marketing ops professional in Boston. If you recognize that name, it might be because Jamie was featured on our show back in episode 45. And so if you missed that one, go back and check out who Tom calls the best marketing ops pro he's ever worked with. If you liked what you heard from our show today, make sure you're subscribed so you get a new episode in your feed every other Friday. If you like video better than audio, check out our new and improved YouTube channel operations with Sean Lane. You can search for it on YouTube or check it out in the show notes. Subscribe there. Also, if you learned something from our show today or from any of our episodes, please leave us a six-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, six-star reviews only. All right. That's going to do it for me. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Today's episode is sponsored by Fullcast, your go-to-market planning platform. If you've ever spent hours or days building territory and quota plans only to have them be out of date the second the reps hit the street, you need to check out Fullcast. With Fullcast, you set intelligent rule-based policies that automate all of the time-consuming manual tasks that hit RevOps teams throughout the year. With virtually no effort, operations will always seamlessly align with your plan. Learn more about Fullcast today by visiting fullcast.io.